Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Damon Wilson. I'm Executive Vice President here at the Atlantic Council, and we are really delighted to welcome you here uh, to this conversation and to our audience watching online via live webcast. Thank you for being with us. Uh, today, we're here for a conversation about strategic and sustainable development for a unified Cyprus. And we're here for a reason, to begin planning for success. That is the potential for historic Cyprus settlement to address some of the unfinished business of Europe. And specifically, we hope over the course of the conversation today um, to consider investment, to consider growth, to consider opportunities for unified Cyprus, and to consider a unique potential model for public-private partnerships to be catalytic for growth to support Cyprus, to support the region. The politics and geopolitics are hard in cases like Cyprus, but often the economics and the geoeconomics are even more difficult. And so often we in the international community in the United States, we have gotten this wrong. So our goal is to be able to explore today a model for sustainable growth that helps buttress integration. And the people of the island are only likely to opt for a unified Cyprus if they see the opportunities of a settlement and the costs of continued division. So today's program builds on the Atlantic Council's sustained track record of work on Cyprus, but we're gathering this week in particular because it's the State Department's uh, Global Partnerships Week. And to get Cyprus and its economy right, the, the theory that we're going to play out today is how public-private partnerships can be leveraged to help that. So we're convening relevant actors from the region, from the United Nations, the US government, the IMF, and the private sector. We have an incredible lineup of speakers to hear from. So I'm gonna save the formalities for a moment, but I would be remiss if I didn't thank our partners in today's event. Um, thank you to Concordia and One Cyprus Now for their support in putting this event together, as well as our colleagues at the State Department of the United Nations and leaders of the Turkish Cypriot community on the island and here in Washington. We have Izmit Korologu with us here today as well as Ambassador Pantelides of the Embassy of Cyprus. Um, thank you all for making this possible. As we continue the conversation, I want to encourage everyone in the audience and everyone online to follow the conversation using the hashtag OneCyprus. And now, there's no better way for us to get started than to start, uh, if we may, with Ambassador Victoria Newland. Um, everybody in this room knows Ambassador Newland Torres, the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. She's been a driving force behind U.S. policy in Europe and Cyprus in particular. She's a dear friend of the Council, a dear friend of Cyprus, a dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine, uh, and in fact, probably to many of you who are joining us today. Um, in fact, when, when she became Assistant Secretary, uh, she came to the Council to give her first public uh, address, in which she offered, even at that time, a powerful message as a first priority on how Cyprus would play a key part of her tenure, and she deliver, delivered on that. She's been deeply engaged in these issues during her time in government and is uniquely suited, I think, to kick off uh, by articulating the strategic importance of the topic today. So it's an honor to have you back to the council. Please join me in welcome Ambassador Newland. Thanks, Damon. Thanks, friends. I am absolutely delighted to be here. What I'm more delighted about is that this conference is happening because it means that this settlement 
is close. This settlement that'll be so important for the communities on the island, so important for the region, and so important as a global example of what can be possible when people work hard for peace. Uh, Damon is absolutely right. It is important now that we start planning for success, because if the negotiators do as well as uh, we hope they do, and as we believe they can, they can do, we will need a very fast start to begin delivering on the promise of a unified Cyprus. So thanks to all of you who are participating. Thanks to all of you who are getting ready to invest in a terrific future for Cyprus. Uh, I want to start by calling everybody's attention to the fact that in the first uh, public press briefing at the State Department of the Trump administration, uh, Mark Toner leads off by re reiterating U.S. support for the negotiations that are ongoing, uh, for shouting out the fact that the U.N. negotiator and friends from both sides of the, of the island are in Washington, uh, because the U.S. does have a profound interest in not simply seeing a resolution to a long, knotty problem, but also uh, to seeing these two communities with UN support, with international support, with US support, proving to the world, as I said, what is possible when you work hard for peace, and then becoming a flourishing center of prosperity, of security, and of good governance that can set an example, not just in the Euro-Atlantic area, not just in the Mediterranean, but for the world at large. Uh, it's interesting to note the tradecraft of this particular set of negotiations. And for all of you who are getting ready to support them, I think it's an important thing to talk about. Uh, whereas in other kinds of peace settlements, they have worked from a set of principles and then tried to drill down and get the details right, or they have tried to go from A to Z on the menu of problems, uh, this set of negotiations uh, is doing well, I believe, and stands the chance of real success very soon because of the methodology, in part. Because the wise leaders on the island, with the UN support, started first with the end state. Some of you may remember, some of you may not, that on February 11th, 2014, uh, the leaders uh, uh, concluded what was called the Joint Declaration. If you haven't had time, go back and read it, because what that Joint Declaration does is it sets the frame of the United Cyprus House. It gives the end state in terms of the kind of shared power that they want to have, the kind of shared prosperity that they want to have, the kind of shared vision of a state that includes two uh, distinct communities living in harmony together and governing their island uh, together. And I think that when this agreement succeeds, and it will, it'll be uh, a testament to that model of diplomatic negotiation. Deciding what you want, deciding what your vision is, and then coloring it in. Then putting the f walls into the house and the furniture into the house and all of those details. I also want to say that I think that one of the reasons why so many of us are optimistic 
about the prospects for a not only a settlement, but a good settlement, a better settlement than we've ever had the hope of before this time, is because there are extraordinary human beings involved in this particular set of talks. Uh, the two leaders, President Anastasiadis, leader Akinja, are both enormously committed. They have set their personal and political repu reputations on a settlement. They have not been afraid to go to their people and say, this is who we stand for as leaders. If, if you want a united Cyprus, you support us. And they had that mandate. But also, as human beings, uh, although it's never completely smooth in any negotiation, uh, they are both uh, putting not just their brains into this, they're putting their hearts into it, they're putting their souls into it. And each of them, I believe, having spent a lot of time with each of them and, and some time with, with them together, they each actually believe that their country will be better after a settlement. And they are spreading that vision and educating the next generation and tapping into the energy among Cypriots on both sides of the island for that vision. But I also want to shout out my dear friend and one of the best international negotiators available on the planet today, Espen Barthida, uh, who Cyprus is very lucky to have as its uh, lead representative from the UN. Uh, Espen and I have known each other for decades. I knew him in his two ministerial jobs in Norway. Uh, among the hallmarks uh, of the way Espen works, uh, in addition to a sparkling brain, infinite creativity, and a real commitment to the marriage between politics and economics and security, is his insurmountable optimism. Um, he drives these leaders nuts. When they are in a bad mood, they say, Espen is too optimistic. <laughs> but he won't stop. Um, he won't stop. And every agreement needs uh, not just a big brain, not just a patient shepherd, but also a cheerleader in chief. So uh, Espen, if, if you can't help these guys get it done, it can't be done. And your spectacular uh, UN team. Without getting into the details of, of where um, the negotiations stand, I will simply say that when I left uh, my job two months ago, you could really already see the finish line. Enormous progress has been made on the economic structure of the island, the governance structure of the island, uh, the way assets will be shared, the opportunities uh, that there will be. There are security issues, it's no secret, that still need to be resolved, both in terms of island security and in terms of how the island will present itself uh, to the world. But I think all of us who've had the opportunity to uh, be involved in working on this, uh, believe that there is a way forward that will protect the rights and interests of both communities and that will create a stronger Cyprus uh, for the neighborhood and as an example, as I said, for a broader, for a broader world. Uh, so those issues need to be worked on. But as I said at the outset, what is really terrific is that through uh, conferences like this, and I hope there'll be some in Europe as well and in other parts of the world, uh, we are already starting to tr create a broader community of support uh, for a unified Cyprus, for a sustainable Cyprus, for a Cyprus that is stronger and richer 
uh, and sets that global example. So I wish you all really good work uh, as you lay out a course for how we will support um, this agreement when it is done, because I think it will be done, and uh, in the planning that you're doing for success. Uh, my bottom line message to all of my friends in Cyprus and all of um, America's partners in Cyprus is do not lose this moment. You are so close. You will be better for it. The region will be better for it. And so will this planet. So good luck with your conference. Thanks. Well, I appreciate everybody coming today. Uh, my name is John Harkrider. I'm with uh, One Cyprus Now. Um, probably asking why our purpose here today is, and that is to, we want to involve the private sector with the reunification processes. And um, we look at Cyprus uh, with a huge potential, uh, looking at being a major Mediterranean trading uh, hub, as well as uh, posed for being one of the fastest growing economies within the EU. Uh, we're simply here to make sure that a proper roadmap, a, a master plan that is made with both public and private partnerships to work together in order to make sure there is a smooth integration with both communities. Um, we are quite aware of how the lack of an international community without helping in this type of integration uh, creates problems in the future. And we are just looking forward to applying this methodology in order to create a, a more of a future for Cyprus than focusing on the history and the past itself. Terrific. Thanks, John. I really want to thank John for being our partner and putting this on today. I want to thank Toria for helping to kick this off. Um, as we set the scene here, um, I want to thank them for helping us think through the historic opportunity and what this could mean for Cyprus uh, and the neighborhood. It was pretty clear to us at the Atlantic Council when we started listening um, to President Anastasiades and his childhood friend, Mr. Kenji, um, when they started to take up the, the talks under the stewardship of our good friend, uh, UN Special Representative Espen Baraida, who um, we're delighted you made the effort of join us. And, and in parallel with the work um, that we saw coming from um, the Greek Cypriot negotiator, we're delighted to have with us uh, today Andreas uh, Mavrianis. Um, and also his Turkish uh, Cypriot counterpart, uh, Odzulnami, who we had some good discussions with in the lead up to today, but unfortunately couldn't travel to be with us today. But as we saw these actors in play and listened to what was playing out, we saw an island-driven process that makes us cautiously optimistic about the possibility and the feasibility of the outcome. And for us at the council, we're not the US government, we're not involved in the details of the negotiations. But we have wanted to play the right supporting role. So our security team, led by Barry Pavel, has been thinking through security issues in the Eastern Mediterranean and how to plan for some of these issues. David Karani, who joins us today, has been the director of our work on Eastern Mediterranean energy futures, really looking at how you can use energy cooperation in the region uh, to build something rather than to harness uh, something positive rather than just in competition. Andrea Montanino and our business program has been looking at um, the extraordinary economic impact uh, that's taken place on the island in the context of restoring broader growth to the European economy. And Peter Ngelke and Lisa Aronson of our strategic foresight team have gone through what I think is an important exercise. And we had some reports out here available. Um, our strategic foresight Mediterranean futures. Imagining what the future will be like 10, 20, 30 years out. 
I see Lisa's with us today, I think Peter's in Geneva, um, to begin to help to imagine what a unified Cyprus would offer to the people in the region so that we understand what's on the other side of these negotiations. And so it was when Toria came here in 2013 and stood up here to give her, her in many respects, your inaugural speech as Assistant Secretary. Um, and she reminded us that 25 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, we shouldn't be satisfied with the map of Europe because we aren't finished. Cyprus is part of that unfinished business. And sometimes it sounds almost quaint to talk about a Europe whole free and at peace. Um, but uh, I think this is, in some respects, more important than ever. And there's an opportunity here with Cyprus. And it's important to remember that vision that underpinned the work that was going into this, this, this set of issues was premised on the idea of former adversaries becoming allies. Um, that's the narrative, thereby ensuring peace, security, stability, and in turn prosperity. That's been a, the story behind American strategy in Europe for 70 years. And in many respects, in a different way, that applies to Cyprus. Um, but it's not unique to Cyprus, and I think that's part of the point. So as John has said, to get this right, there's a political process that could unlock an economic side of the equation, which is going to be so fundamental if you're going to be able to figure out how to develop the offshore resources, how to have real growth in tourism uh, and services, a diversification of the economy, establishment of the island as a hub for international business in what is inevitably a dynamic, but also a very turbulent, difficult region. Um, barriers falling and peace and prosperity rising in their place. That's the story of Europe in the 20th century. And while there are questions looming over the future of Europe right now, that formula is an important story for Cyprus today. But we all have to remember it's not inevitable. Um, and so this event is part of a body of work that John's been undertaking, our colleagues at Concordia, the Atlantic Council, um, to be able to think through these possibilities um, because even as the politics unfold and play out, how do we in, in the United States and the international community and the private sector, uh, actors across the region take advantage to prepare for the day after a settlement? And so I hope that you can see the conversation today as a little bit of a call to action um, for us to think long term and strategically about our interests and the opportunities in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, Cyprus has come so far in the process that brings us here today that we can be cautiously optimistic, but we've got to do some work to care and ensure that this progress can be moved forward. And there have been recent events on the island. We all know about the Enosis vote that took place that brought sort of the issue of difficult issues of the past into current conversations about the future, where it's frankly not uh, constructive about how do we maintain our focus on the future, where we don't deny the past at all of what happened, but we shouldn't be distracted by it in terms of achieving what's in fundamentally our common interests here. So today we want to raise our sights, think a little bit strategically about this. How do we build something that's sustainable? How do you build peace and prosperity in a sustainable way on the island and the region uh, and for our broader community? Um, we're cautiously optimistic here, but we're not naive. We understand how much hard work has gone into this. We hope to come out of this, and I think working with John and other colleagues and many of you here to develop some recommendations for policymakers, for business leaders. And I hope John speaks a little bit to this more uh, in, the, in the panel discussion today um, on how we can actually lay out a little bit of that roadmap um, and begin to prepare some recommendations that we can also use with what is a, a, our own administration here uh, in Washington and take forward at our upcoming summits that will take place uh, both in Istanbul in April and in Athens in June as we continue to program around the region. So with that, um, we have 
sort of set the scene for what we hope to do over the next uh, couple of discussions, I want to now turn to invite the floor to Sarah to come up and uh, our moderator, uh, to Sarah Stefanini, who's with Politico in Brussels. And she'll guide our first set of panelists into a conversation about laying the political and geopolitical groundwork for a prosperous uh, unified Cyprus. After this panel conversation, we'll take a brief coffee break, and then we'll move into a much more focused conversation on the economics and the models for development uh, in Cyprus. This is on the record. We want your conversation. Please engage over uh, uh, using hashtag OneCyprus and think through the questions you want to bring to the discussions today. Let me invite Sarah and her, and her panelists to join her on the stage. Um, thank you. I would like to introduce um, I'd like to introduce our speakers. Um, to my left, Espen Bath-Ida, the UN Special Advisor on Cyprus, who has been facilitating and moderating the conversations, the negotiations. Um, Ambassador Andreas Mavroyanis, who is the Chief Negotiator for the Greek Cypriot community. And um, Mr. John, Jonathan Cohen, who is Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyprus, Greece, and Turkey at the State Department's Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, and I believe you have um, their bios too if you'd like to read more about them. Um, to start off the conversation, um, I think the last sort of big milestone in the negotiations was the international conference in Geneva in January. Um, I was there and it was, I mean, there seemed to be a lot of cautious optimism as people like to say, but it was a milestone. It was the first time that Britain, Greece, and Turkey came together to discuss it with the two Cypriot sides. The EU was there to lend its support as well. Um, but it ended earlier than expected. Um, so Espen, to kick off, um, how has your outlook changed since then? Um, you know, what Were you surprised by the outcome? Um, what do you see as the road ahead? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much first. And before I answer that question, I want to thank uh, Damon and and John, and, uh, and also um, very much uh, Toria for what you said, uh, for, for putting this conference together, because it's a, it's a unique opportunity at a very, very critical juncture, because in the, in the coming few months, we might actually have a settlement in Cyprus, or we might have a breakdown. And of course, our plan is to have a settlement, and, uh, and I think the, the strong support that uh, is, is proven by the, your presence here, but also my many meetings with the new administration over the last days has proven that America remains committed to this and continues the good work. Then to your question. Well, very important to underline that something, a couple of very important things happened in that second uh, week of January. Uh, um, the day before the establishment of the, of the conference, so on the 11th of January, uh, the two leaders presented to each other maps which were congruent with uh, the, uh, a previous agreement on the volume that will be allocated to the two constituent states. It's never happened before. In every previous attempt, it has not been negotiated between the sides, but it has been, uh, you know, maps have been drawn by the UN, by foreigners, because it was too sensitive. But the fact that the leaders were able to not fully agree, because we still have some work to do, but to present maps which were congruent with an agreed volume, uh, of land going to one side and the other was remarkable. This was also the key. When that happened in the afternoon of the 11th of 
January, we knew that the conference could start on the 12th in the morning. And the point of that first day of the conference, albeit we, we might have wanted it to last a little longer, but it continued the next week uh, in a different format, was very much to launch a new format, which also was new, because until then, the negotiations that we have been facilitating with uh, Andreas Aurianis and Ostil Nami and the two leaders, Mr. Okinshi and Mr. Anastasiadis, has been a bicommunal conversation between the two communities, represented by leaders and negotiators. From then on, we are in the Conference on Cyprus, which includes the guarantor powers, but where also the EU is, because uh, the future United Federal Cyprus, whatever we will end up, they will end up calling it, will be a full EU member, so the role of the EU is also important. So we had the guarantors there and the EU as an interested party slash observer. Um, the point was to get a mandate for now broadening the conversation to that level. What happened after the conference was that uh, these same uh, participants uh, uh, joined again a few days later in the Geneva vicinity in Montpellier for um, a, a follow-up session where uh, what, which was one of the richest and most informative discussions I have heard on how the two communities see their fears, concerns, and hopes in the security landscape. Very calm, excellent presentation by Mr. Mavrianis and by Mr. Nami. Good responses from the representatives of Greece, Turkey, the UK, ourselves, uh, the EU. Uh, and we, what I saw there was a long way to go. Make no mistake, long way to go on this difficult issue. But also that it's, it's possible. I think the security and guarantees will not be what blocks this settlement. And that's quite a big thing to say, because I think a lot of people have expected that at the end of the day we will not have a settlement because of these agreements over security and guarantees. We are currently working on a formula. I can come back to it because I don't want to monopolize the opening statement. But we're working on the formula which I think, I think can fly at the end of the day if there is will and trust enough to, to, to think outside of the box, which provides a new approach to this issue. That was the good news. The not-so-good news, and I, I, I say that very much aware that we have uh, all sides represented and that we're uh, webcast, is that we may collectively say, Andreas, that we haven't used the time after Geneva as much as we could. We have been trying. We had many meetings, many of them good, uh, but we didn't make the progress that was expected on those issues which can be solved only in Cyprus by Cypriots, but which would facilitate the return to the Geneva table. So we have more work to do, and then we have this particular issue right now, which again is unfortunate, but which I also think we will solve, so I'm not going to spend my time discussing that particular issue we had them before. And what tends to happen is that the leaders do come back to the table, but then we have to use our time right. So my conversations with the two leaders over the last days before I flew here was very much about thinking of the format we will use when we are back negotiating, not to lose more time and actually do what Toria told us, use this opportunity, know that we have it before it goes away. And Andreas, also talking about the Geneva summit, um, I mean, what do you think, what, what went wrong there? What, was it too soon? Was it, um, had you not laid the groundwork on security and guarantees because it had, it had been left to the end? Or was it something else? First, uh, let me 
thank uh, the organizers, uh, thank Damon and all the people that were involved in the organization of this uh, meeting. would like to thank Toria for her presence here and uh, to greet you all and uh, express uh, uh, my feeling of being really very happy to be here with you today. It's uh, unfortunate that uh, my uh, counterpart and friend still uh, didn't manage to be with us today. But uh, the idea now is to not to have a one-sided conversation. I'm sure that uh, the idea for all of us is to find a way forward that uh, will, uh, if you like, address the concerns of both sides. Uh, now to your question, Sarah. Uh, you know that uh, as far as we were concerned, we were very reluctant to go to this kind of a conference. But eventually, after the meetings we have, we had in Montpellier in November, where we discussed uh, all the issues, including uh, territory, and we had also a couple of informal exchanges on security and guarantees. We uh, decided eventually, uh, Espen was present and facilitated that at the beginning of December, that you know, it's important to at last go for all in and then discuss security and guarantees. So uh, uh, though President Anastasiadis was so heavily criticized internally, he has taken a deliberate decision that we should go mm -hmm. to Geneva. And uh, from there on, without, without preconditions, okay? No mm -hmm. preconditions, just we go there and we see what, what is happening. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, for us, nothing really went wrong in Geneva. Mm -hmm. For us, it was uh, a very good meeting, a very successful one. Uh, it had the merit to exist and to take place. Mm -hmm. And already, Espen would confirm that in the days, the days before, mm -hmm. what we were discussing between ourselves mm -hmm. was not the meeting per se, but what will be the follow-up. Yes. We knew that it was not possible to solve the security and guarantees issue just overnight. Mm -hmm. So we knew that we needed a follow-up. So Geneva produced a follow-up, and this was very important. Mm -hmm. So we had a meeting where everybody, I mean, uh, they spelled out yes. what they think. It was understandable that, I mean, I couldn't expect Turkey to agree with me, mm -hmm. you know, you know, or in particular security and guarantees. Uh, and Eventually, what we have decided was that, okay, we should continue at the level of deputies, and then we have a discussion at the level of deputies. We discuss uh, about, uh, you know, the respective concerns, the questions that are part of this discussion, and we uh, elaborate instruments that will be, uh, you know, relevant in order to address those concerns. And once we do this, we go back to the principles. Then, as Espen was saying, a week later, we met in Montpellerin for two days of really in-depth discussion, which was probably the first time ever where we were around the same table and discussing substance, not reading statements. Mm -hmm. Just all of us talking, answering questions, and trying to find a way forward. Mm -hmm. So all this was okay, including, by the way, a discussion raised by the Turkish Cypriot side concerning what they called the vulnerability of the Greek Cypriot political system because of 
the existence of extremist elements that are, are in favor of enosis. Mm -hmm. So the, this discussion has taken place. Yes. So there, if you like, there was uh, a very clear uh, not agreement on substance, but an understanding that we needed to continue this work and we were expecting to go back to the principles. However, with a strong reservation by the Turkish delegation that, you know, in order to have the principles meeting taking place, but more so to have it having chances of success, we need to see what happens in the other chapters. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's uh, what you're doing yes, now? Yes. Yeah. Well, this is what we tried to do mm -hmm. immediately after Montpellierin, mm -hmm. but then we were in trouble. When we went back to Cyprus, the meetings in February in Cyprus didn't produce the expected results, though there were good moments. We managed to address mm -hmm. a number of issues, but uh, you know there were a couple of issues that were put uh, on the table by the Turkish side and by Turkey concerning the four freedoms for Turkish nationals in the EU mm -hmm. and their own interpretation of political equality and effective participation, which didn't allow us to really move as we have uh, agreed to. However, the methodology was the right methodology, and I think that uh, we started working on this. Now there was this incident, we need to overcome it. We have a very strong determination. Anastasiades would tell you that he's more determined than ever, mm -hmm. but we need to find a way to go back to the negotiating table with respecting each other, without humiliating each other, and without you know, allowing eventually what I think Toria said and Desper said, you know, in Cyprus, we need to look towards the future. The legacy of the past is always problematic. Yes. Only the future can mm -hmm. unite us. The past is there in order to create trouble. And this is one more example of this, mm -hmm. what we are going through now. And uh, we'll come back to the present situation, but just to bring Jonathan in, um, the U.S., especially under the Obama administration, has been very supportive of the negotiations, as far as I understand. Um, it doesn't, it's not one of the guarantors, it's not in the region, so it, does, it, I guess, doesn't have physical skin in the game. But what is the U.S. interest and role, and how has it changed or has it changed under the new administration? Thanks for the question, Sarah. And first, let me join my uh, Andreas and Espen in thanking uh, the Atlantic Council and Damon for putting this event together, and Toria and John for your uh, very supportive remarks, and especially Andreas and Espen for making the trip out here. Um, their presence in Washington this week is actually serving as a catalyst to help us, the new administration, reaffirm s strong U.S. support for the process. Uh, for the role that these gentlemen and, and Dilnami have been playing, uh, and for the prospect of a reunified Cyprus, which we believe will be good for Cyprus, for the region, and will improve the lives of all the people of the island. Uh, we think that it will generate economic prosperity and growth, investment, uh, improve security regionally, and open up uh, economic and, and uh, security and political possibilities that have been shut for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, those interests have not changed with the change of administration, and consequently, the strong U.S. support behind the process has not changed. Mm. Um, in fact, it was one of in, in early and after uh, Secretary Rex Tillerson was confirmed, he made phone calls to President Anastasiades, and 
um, the Turkish Cypriot leader, Akinci. And um, so, uh, I mean, that seems like a significant show of support. Uh, Secretary Tillerson is also quite familiar with the region because of the ExxonMobil's presence and the gas there. These were among um, the first calls that the new Secretary of State made, and the calls were very warm and supportive. Uh, he reiterated some of the same points that I just made. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Toria mentioned, I think it's extremely significant that the first press briefing of this administration at the State Department led off with a statement by the spokesman mm -hmm. supporting the process and welcoming um, Mr. Ida's visit here and strongly supporting the role that he's playing. Mm -hmm. um, and so going back now to what's what happened sort of in the fallout after, well, after Geneva, um, in the last month, there's been this um, rule on the Greek Cypriot um, on the Greek Cypriot side. There's this rule passed in the Parliament to for schools to commemorate the Enosis, the vote to the referendum to join with Cyp uh, with Greece back in 1950, and it seems to have sort of stoked tensions, especially on the Turkish Cypriot side. Um, do you worry that it sort of just shows the the inherent tensions that? Um, that still exist and the, the fact that the past is still weighing very heavily on people there. Espen, do you see it? You're asking me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My yes. favorite subjects, as you can imagine. Right? <laughs> um, well, I think I, I, Andrea said something very, very important, which, uh, pre, which you all should reflect on. It's much easier for Cypriots, but also for other divided countries or, 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 or communities in conflict to to imagine a common future than to try to reconcile the past. Because while, they have, while the past is full of the same physical phenomenon, they're read in very different ways. And I think that I have to say, and I've said this, I can say it here, I've also said it on the island, I agree with, uh, with uh, Anastasiades when he has clearly said repeatedly that he distanced himself from that vote. It was unhelpful, it was not a good thing, it was the wrong, wrong moment to do, and it was the wrong thing. He's right. And in that sense, I also very much understand that if the Greek Cypriot leader says that, of course, the mm -hmm. Turkish Cypriot leader feels even stronger that this was wrong and that something should be done without specifying what that is. But there's also an issue about how, how much you allow it to undermine a process. Mm -hmm. And I think here, frankly, everyone has a role to do and the Greek Cypriot side can do something about the source issue. But there's also an issue of the, Greek, the Turkish Cypriot side to to make up their mind of how much they will let this block uh, future progress. Mm -hmm. And I think if both sides try to move towards each other rather than to allow this to tear them apart, mm -hmm. it will be helpful for everybody because everybody uh, in the two leaderships want this to continue. I know that. They keep telling me that, even over the very mm -hmm. last day and even if I came, came here because I remain in contact. Uh, they want that, so we just have to find a way, and, I, and we will mm -hmm. discuss that when we're back, how we can get back to speaking about it. But I want to highlight an event which, which happens to happen this weekend. It was planned long before, but it comes at the perfect time. There's a Council of Europe conference for teachers, uh, international conference, but there will be Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriot teachers involved in this about teaching of history in divided communities, mm -hmm. and very much how can you deal with history so that you're truthful to what actually happened, but in, but in a way that unifies rather than divides. And mm -hmm. I could not have thought of a better topic. So thanks to the Council of Europe for coming up with this now, mm -hmm. which they didn't know, so it just happened to be a good occasion. And I will be there myself. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's uh, exactly uh, a good opportunity to focus on what, how do you deal with this mm -hmm. 
conflictive past. I am con confident that even when, to use Toria's, when we find the settlement and when the leaders sign it and present it to the referendum and the referendum succeeds, it will take many years before these communities are truly reconciled on the past. But very much of the answer to that lies in the educational system, in the professional teaching of history. Um, and the leaders know that because long time ago, long before this came up, they decided to set up an educational committee with this express purpose of dealing with these issues. Mm -hmm. So they need to work hard because there's a lot to do on that front, mm -hmm. but it can be done because many communities have had exactly the same problem and they overcome it with time and will and dedication. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Andreas, do you worry? I mean, there are people who, uh, there's a lot of commentary saying that President Anastasiades is under particular pressure um, because you've got extreme sort of more Greek nationalist parties in the parliament. He's got presidential elections next year. And um, so this is part of the problem with the Enosis rule that he was caught between two sides. Um, do you feel, and looking ahead, because also you'll have a referendum if you do reach an agreement, is there concern about sort of managing the, these pressures? Not really. I have no. to be very honest with you. Anastasiadis is not thinking about uh, presidential elections. And if uh, he's to think about presidential elections, I think he would link, if you like, his success with the success in the settlement talks. So he has every reason, he's 100% committed to work for a settlement. And uh, now he's really, Espen would confirm this, he's very frustrated because he cannot continue the negotiations, in particular at this critical juncture where if you like, we ca have the possibility to make it, and we know that we are running out of time. Uh, so that is something uh, very important that both Toria and Espen mentioned. We have been in this process now further than ever, mm -hmm. than ever. And if it is the first time that it's a Cypriot-owned, Cypriot-led process with this, with the facilitation of the United Nations under the Good Offices mission, if you like, with a group of friends, the United States in particular, that have helped a lot, at the same time knowing where to stop and knowing where exactly mm. the leaders have to mm. take the decision. But let, let me add um, something on the second element you mentioned about uh, President Anastasiadis, which is you know, the internal situation. First, I want to say that uh, this issue of this uh, uh, regulation by parliament concerning uh, the commemoration of historical events, okay, it was untimely, it was unfortunate, but it has nothing to do with the substance. You know, we are talking about history, we are talking about identity, we are talking about, you know, people thinking about their past, and by the way, in Cyprus, I was explaining this to Jonathan earlier today, there has never been any questioning of the historical significance of this event or whether, you know, there has never been denial, revisionism that would require something like that. It was unfortunate the way, the way it happened, if you like. But the important thing is that we need to find a way forward. We have to put this aside, and we shouldn't allow it to be used as a pretext that by those that try to spoil the process. You know, for us, our fear is that 
you know, on the Turkey side, this is used as an excuse in order to ask for guarantees and rights of unilateral mm -hmm. intervention by Turkey. And this is very worrisome, I think. Now, the real, the second problem we have with uh, this recent development and the interruption, we hope, very provisional of the talks is that, you know, the public opinion is really concerned and frustrated because they have the feeling mm -hmm. that if we are going to continue this kind of incidents, it means that our heart is not mm -hmm. with the process anymore. Mm -hmm. So we need to be very cautious about how we are dealing with this. Of course, it's, you know, as I was saying, we are dealing with the past. And mm -hmm. past is the most uh, difficult to deal, the most ingrateful. We have been successful over the last three years, mm. and Toria is right to mention the 11th February joint declaration, where about the vision for the future and the way we put this into the negotiation, into practice, was very successful. Dealing about the past, what is the past? Past is, is property. Past is troops. Mm. Past mm. is history. Past is missing persons. Past is many things that are dividing us. Mm -hmm. So we managed to deal with the future in a very successful way. Not There is no agreement, uh, don't take me wrong, mm -hmm. but in a, a vision where the leaders see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. The past mm -hmm. is more difficult to tackle. And, yes, and, uh, so th I, you already know that I very much agree with that. I, I just want to say that um, I, I agree with Andreas that Technically speaking, this uh, discussion of enosis, of course, is outside of the talks. It's not off the table, so the crisis was created outside of the table, indeed. But it does relate to what is the lingering existential fears that have, have been held, but also been cultivated, it has to be said, by the other community, which was the assumption, which was at least stated, that there was some continued um, Greek Cypriot um, desire for enosis. I don't think so. And most Turkish Cypriots don't really think so, but this has been in the community a fear that has been upheld over time. Mm. So, you know, the last thing you wanted to do, just as we're trying to take down these historical fears and focus on the future, is to make any act that will evoke a sentiment which mm. has been a big problem for the other side. And, uh, and it would go in both directions mm. if, if the decision had been on the other side. I think the reactions would have been similar in the South. But I already said, I think there is a role for the Greek super side, and I know that they're thinking of it, to deal with the actual decision. And then there's also a role for the Turkish super side, deciding how much and how long we will make this the issue that prevents the talks. Because we have to get back to exactly where Andrea says, mm -hmm. to this vision of the future, and a future that is shared, and where, where the two communities feel secure with each, with each other, not feel secure against each other, mm -hmm. as they tried in the past. And um, Jonathan, I mean, one of the other big obstacles that, well, an obstacle that a lot of people point to is Turkey and whether President Erdogan would ever be willing to give up his presence in um, northern Cyprus. Um, how do you, the constitutional referendum in April, do you, you know, do you see that as an obstacle, as a as an issue for the Cyprus talks? Or? It's certainly an important inflection point. I don't mm. think it's an obstacle. And I, I spent a fair amount of time talking to Turks about this and, and asking them very bluntly if they thought it would be possible to make progress in the talks between the period just after Mount Pelerin and, uh, and the referendum in mid-April. And every Turk I talked to said, 
while we can't get a final decision because we won't be able to get the president's attention until after that vote, we can certainly work on filling in the details of the compromise. Mm -hmm. So I, I take that at face value, and I think they're prepared to do that. Um, there is certainly a challenge in terms of attention from the political class in Turkey between now and April 16th. And what but, do you see? Oh, but, but let me also say, you know, one, one of the things that makes this process exceptional, and one of the reasons that we as the U.S. have invested so much in it in terms of, of our political support is that for the first time, not only do we have the framework that Toria talked about, but we have um, negotiators on every side, including the Turkish and Greek sides, who mm -hmm. are pragmatic and mm -hmm. are invested in making this come out right. So uh, given that, I think uh, the April 16th date is a challenge, but not, uh, not an obstacle in the sense of a stumbling block or, or an impediment. What do you see as the, the, the incentives for Turkey? I mean, there are some who say that also uh, the possibility of EU membership was an incentive that's kind of off the table at the moment. Um, there's the natural gas issue or possibility. What do you see as attracting well, Turkey? Th there, there are a lot of things, and it would be it would be great to have a Turk here to represent the, the Turkish yeah. point of view, but what I can say for sure is that um, opening up the possibility of the deal that's been done between Israel and Turkey to move gas through Cyprus mm -hmm. is fundamentally dependent on getting a deal. And that's good for, for Cyprus's economy, it's good for Turkey's economy, and it's good for Israel as well. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, it's good for Europe because it helps reduce Europe's energy dependency on a single source producer who is unreliable at, at the best of times. Mm. The, uh, the other thing is that there, there is a, uh, a historic sense that Erdogan has a chance to be the Turkish leader who brought a solution to the Cyprus problem after all these years. Uh, remember why the uh, island was divided in the first place. The Turks had a sense of aggrievement related to the Turkish Cypriot community and the, um, the junta and the the move to change the terms of the government mm -hmm. in, in uh, Nicosia, to resolve that problem, to be the one who presides over Turkey while that problem is resolved makes you mm -hmm. a hero for everyone who's spent time protecting and defending the rights of the Turkish Cypriots. Mm -hmm. um, Andreas, uh, from your side, it, does the referendum worry you or does, do you see it as, a, as an obstacle? Yes, I, I, I believe it has some bearing. I believe it's not easy right now to expect, uh, you know, bold decisions uh, concerning Cyprus coming from Turkey. We always believe that at the end of the day, the key for the settlement in Cyprus lies with Ankara. Mm -hmm. We believe that uh, uh, if it were just uh, for the two leaders to decide uh, uh, it would have been done already, but they have to operate within a framework which is defined, among other things, that we, by some constraints that are relating to Turkey. And the idea is to convince uh, Turkey to, uh, I mean, you know, we have a sense that Turkey can live with a settlement and they can live without a settlement. Mm -hmm. How can we make Turkey tick in favor of the settlement? Uh, Jonathan mentioned uh, some of the issues. We honestly believe that uh, it is in the interest of Turkey to solve the Cyprus problem uh, in order to have uh, uh, a seamless economic cooperation in the Eastern Mediterranean, including in the energy field. And I think this was 
also one of the main tenets of the American policy until when Toria was in charge uh, in, the, in, the, in that area in order to build a very strong relationship. You know, Cyprus is not, is not an opponent of Turkey. All we want is to have our own autonomous presence, but we want to work in synergy and cooperation with all players mm -hmm. in that part of the world. So we believe that, uh, uh, yes, the referendum is a factor. We cannot say what will happen afterwards. We don't know. But we know that for the time being, this has a bearing on, on the settlement in Cyprus. And we know at the same time that, um, you know, though uh, the argument uh, of uh, Turkey's accession to the European Union does not uh, carry uh, a heavy weight now, uh, still uh, there is something that has to do with the Greco-Turkish, uh, the Europe-Turkish uh, context. And uh, the fact that uh, recently the, uh, Turkey has put on the table this issue of the four freedoms mm -hmm. is not uh, by accident. So mm -hmm. there is something there as well. We are going to try to, to see what we can do. But it has to be very clear that um, Cyprus uh, cannot uh, uh, deliver the EU to Turkey. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, did you? I, I, so, I, well, needless to say, I see my friends on the island on a constant basis, but I also maintain very close relationship both with Athens and, and Ankara, and I go there at least once a month to both capitals and, 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 and speak to the highest leadership. I am absolutely convinced, and more and more convinced, that all, all parties would like this to be solved now. Athens would like it, Ankara would like it, the Greek Cypriots would like it, the Turkish Cypriots would like it. They may not see exactly the same deal. That's why mm -hmm. we're negotiating, because if they already agreed, we might just write it up and go home. But, but, uh, but, but I think that on the strategic outlook map of each of these players, mm -hmm. a solution in Cyprus is factored as a positive thing. So what we have to do is to align uh, the positions sufficiently that they can agree on something they can all live with. And I, I think that's positive and possible. We, will we have had this discussion now for quite some time, whether uh, we should act before or after the referendum. And it's almost become a kind of an internal theological discussion of the talks. Mm -hmm. And I think in every, in every group, there might be more than one view on it. By the way, it's solving itself now, because it will be, well, while we're not talking, it will be uh, the 16th of uh, mm -hmm. April anyway. Uh, so let's hope we come back. But the best thing we can do, which is in the purview of the leaders, the negotiators, and myself and my team, is to make sure that all issues that can be solved in Cyprus are solved in Cyprus. Because the most convincing way to get Greece and Turkey and the UK to, uh, to subscribe to an overall plan is to convincingly say, we did our homework. Mm -hmm. And there's still something to do. So if the more we can do that, I of course know, as Andreas knows, that there are elements of that which pertains directly to the security mm -hmm. settlement. But everything else that we can do will make it much more likely that we get the guarantors to agree as mm -hmm. well. And I would like to highlight, since we then touched on the security file, and we should move to economy at some point, but um, the concept that we are developing now with, in close conversations with all interested parties is to distinguish security into four layers and uh, make a very long story very short. The first one is constitutional security. The second is internal security. The third is security of implementation. And the fourth is external security. Mm -hmm. The two first ones are for the Cypriots alone. And the more successful they are in creating a deal that both communities believe is credible and that will survive 
difficult times, the more, you know, the more is done already at that level. Internal security is policing, constituent state policing, federal policing, legal system that is fair and that treats people equally, regardless of which community you belong to. Even more is done. Only then comes the international support for the implementation mm -hmm. itself, which is temporary, which will be there until you know, certain conditions have been made. And lastly comes the external security. What kind of international defense relationships, if any, or, or tra non-traditional security relationships, if any, uh, Cyprus wants to have. So by a kind of reordering of these issues, we try to get out of the traditionally somewhat uh, hopeless discussion where one side will say security and guarantee should remain forever, and the other side, no, on the contrary, it should go right away. Mm -hmm. Discussion is over. And so far, while nobody has committed to the final agreement, let's be very clear on that, there's been a constructive dialogue with each and every player along that structuring of security. Well, speaking about um, economic issues instead, um, we've touched on the natural gas, but that is, it, on the economic side, it is quite a big issue. It's it, Since the discovery of natural gas off Cyprus's shores, it's become this pot big potential that could happen if once there's reunification. At the same time, the Cypriot government is going ahead with awarding licenses, and I've heard Turkish Cypriots say that it, that could actually create more tensions because they want, they want to benefit from that as well. Um, Andreas, um, how do you see, you know, it, it, the, should the gas, is the, what role does the gas play in the negotiations? You know, this is something uh, everybody has uh, in their minds, but nobody mm -hmm. talks uh, because this is not an issue in the no. negotiations and it cannot be an issue in the negotiations. So what you have there is uh, the Republic of Cyprus as a sovereign state taking decisions concerning you know, the exploration and uh, exploitation of possible uh, resources, if you like. Uh, and it's not about uh, the who is going to benefit very clearly you know, this will be to the benefit of all the people of Cyprus. And uh, there is even uh, a kind of an understanding about the way, uh, you know, the benefits, if any, in the future, let's hope there will be, will be used and shared for the whole people. There is also an understanding that, uh, you know, natural resources is a federal competence. There is an understanding that Cyprus will continue to be part of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. So this is not, this is not uh, really the issue uh, at stake. The issue uh, is uh, now uh, mainly for us uh, with uh, Turkey, which is challenging, if you like, the rights of uh, Cyprus to uh, use uh, uh, its maritime zones. Uh, but we hope that uh, this will not uh, stand in the way of uh, the negotiations and that uh, fairly soon we are going to be able uh, to not to think about issues like uh, uh, natural resources, but but certainly you are absolutely right that uh, you know energy and the economic prospects for Cyprus and the Eastern Mediterranean are huge, and uh, I think Jonathan mentioned this uh, as well. We need to make it possible. We need to make it happen. It's uh, I mean. Uh, energy, but uh, energy for Cyprus is not only is not only our own resources. Mm. It's our geographical mm -hmm. location. 
It's, we are close to Israel, close to Egypt, to Lebanon. You know that there were important discoveries in the area, and Cyprus is the natural hub and it's the natural transit place for energy. So we have it all to play whatever the situation is. And then, of course, it's not only, it's not only energy. There are many other things. So, you know, Cyprus is in, is in a very strategic uh, location, being, uh, you know, the outermost presence of the EU in that part of the world and the entry point of the whole region to the European Union, not to mention, I mean, many other sectors like uh, tourism or, you know, new technologies, etc. So there is an incredible potential mm -hmm. provided we find a way to get it right, not to mention that for Turkey too, mm -hmm. you know, economic relations with Turkey can improve in sectors where, you know, they didn't uh, so far develop enough, like uh, services, like, uh, you know, shipping and uh, these kind of things. And uh, we can uh, open markets uh, in the Middle East for people to work together and to cooperate. Yeah. So uh, I work for the UN, but I am Norwegian and we do oil and gas uh, <laughs> quite a bit. Um, Two, two observations from that, that, and I've been defense minister and foreign minister of a major gas producing country. First, we made the decision quite early that, or we realized rather, that um, uh, gas and conflict mixes badly. It's a com combustive mix. So disputes and gas uh, should be sequenced in, in our view, that you first you solve the dispute and then you explore the gas. That was a Norwegian position. I'm not recommending anything for Cyprus, but I think it was very wise in the Norwegian case to think like that. And we settled the issue with Russia, for instance, before we actually went to the actual exploration. Um, the other thing which is very important, and Andreas mentioned it, is that the gas we're talking about, which we, I also think there's quite a bit of it, uh, it's uh, scattered around in, in many pockets in the uh, south of Cyprus towards Egypt, towards Israel, uh, Lebanon. Um, and it's probably most effectively used through international cooperation because you can have international cooperation also in the transport routes. Mm -hmm. And there's massive investment opportunity in that area. But I am quite convinced that many of the companies involved will be quite interested in how the political issue develops because mm -hmm. it can be quite decisive. This can be really a catalyst for peace if we use it right. But then it has to be used right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why. I, I still am still convinced that among the many good arguments for having a settlement now, gas is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll open it up to questions in a minute, but Jonathan, just one other issue I wanted to ask. Um, from the U.S. perspective, how, if, there, if there is a settlement, there's an agreement, um, and Cyprus reunifies, what does that mean for NATO? Um, NATO-EU cooperation has been blocked by it. Um, there's tensions between Greece and Turkey. Uh, how does the U.S. kind of view this side of it? It's a little bit of a softball question. <laughs> uh, well, NATO-EU cooperation has been blocked for many, many years, mm -hmm. because, largely because of the Cyprus problem. It was the wedge that drove uh, space between the two organizations' ability to cooperate. And as we face common security challenges, especially in the Eastern Mediterranean, especially in a time of war in the Middle East, with refugee flows and terrorism concerns. Mm -hmm. It's more important than ever for security institutions to be able to work together. Mm -hmm. So if we can pull that, that dividing line out between NATO and the EU, we'll improve security cooperation for everyone in the region mm -hmm. uh, and in our hometown mm -hmm. as well. So yeah. that, that's, that's kind of at well, the bottom of it. Okay. I, I also wanted to add one, one or two points on the economy, just to mm -hmm. put a finer mm -hmm. point under it. 
there's a market of 80 million prospective consumers in Turkey that has been shut to uh, the Republic of Cyprus for all these years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, just think about the, the economy of scale there. Mm -hmm. it, it potentially could um, float a lot of Cypriot boats. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing. The other thing is you have a remarkable collection and a very small population of highly, highly skilled, educated labor um, that, that works at a relatively um, competitive rate that is a great launching pad economically for investment directed both toward the east and the south, but also toward the north and the west. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I've, we have a representative from the Turkish Cypriot Foreign Affairs Ministry, uh, Mr. Ismet Koroklu. Um, um, yep, if, you, if, if you have any comments or yeah, thoughts on it. First of all, as the Turkish Cypriot side, we firmly believe that negotiations must be based on trust and grounded in the principle of equality. We are pleased that the Atlantic Council is dedicating time and resources to examine the Cyprus question. However, we do also believe that all sides must be represented to have a balanced discussion and that the viewpoints of all parties are adequately heard. Unfortunately, Turkish Cypriot negotiator, Mr. Nami, was not given due notice about this event that's why he is not here today. Within the context of the good office's mission of the UN Secretary General, it will be appropriate for the UN Secretary General's special advisors to participate only if both parties are represented. Thank you. Um, but I, um, yeah, we've got a question. I have to say something. Uh, yeah. I, I need a strong disclaimer. There is no Turkish Cypriot foreign ministry, minister, or anybody representing a TRNC. Now, the man can talk, I have nothing personal, as uh, some uh, Turkey Cypriot, but that's all. I mean, what is this? What is this? But I and, 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 uh, and I mean, nobody can impose on, on anybody or the UN special representative where he will go or where he will not go. And by the way, I have to say that Hostil, who is a very close friend of mine, had been informed about this the same moment I was informed. Mm -hmm. So there was no difference and of course, as I mentioned myself, he would be most welcome to be here, and I wanted him, I tried to persuade him to be here. <laughs> yes, I, I must, um, since the issue was raised, I mean, I saw, I got the copies of the invitations they were sent to Mr. Mavroyanis and Mr. Nami on the same day with the same content, and I got the copy. Unfortunately, uh, the original email was sent to uh, an email address that was not so frequently in use, so that was an unfortunate event, but I think it's, I would not create a political intention out of that, uh, that issue. I, I, I have the copies, they were sent on the same day. Okay, thank you. Um, yep, question back here. Nicolai Rigak is president of American Atlantic Institute. Jonathan, allow me the high fastball inside question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but actually, you have heard a uh, process, um, moving forward, future, and that's all good. But I think, Master Mavroyanis, if I may turn this attention to you, you made the, the very succinct point regarding the answer is in Ankara. So as you move through these negotiations and you deal with your counterparts, how confident are you when you sit across them that in effect that they are actually ownered, that there's an ownership in play here by the Turkish Cypriots and they're not being dictated by Turkey, which after all does spend about a billion dollars a year for the occupation and insist on military occupation, insist on guarantees, when others do not. Uh, and having said that, 
A bully sometimes has to be told with a bully-like tactics. So to the other gentlemen up there who represent the international community and U.S. policy moving forward, uh, what can we do other than just supporting the process, but supporting the process by calling out who is not supporting the process? And it would seem to me that a little bit of nudge uh, in, in a certain direction might be helpful. So how can we move the process by allowing the, the Cypriot communities to have ownership of the process and not have Turkey dictate to the, uh, you know, to, to the Turkish Cypriot community the negotiations? Can I take the last part yeah. of that first? Okay. <laughs> Nick, let, let me take the last part of your question first. Uh, the, uh, the last line in the press statement yesterday is a line that the Secretary of State repeated when he spoke to the leaders, which is the United States stands prepared to help in any way that the leaders would find useful. And that means if, if the leaders of the communities in, in, on Cyprus who are in the negotiations believe that we need to send a tough message to Turkey about a particular issue, we're prepared to have a tough conversation. And we have ample opportunity to do so. Can I add also something yep. on, on this last uh, point? Again, you know, we shouldn't confuse what we are trying to achieve with the current situation. We all know and we all understand that there is, uh, you know, uh, dependence of the Turkish Cypriot community on Turkey. Mm -hmm. We have the Turkish Occupation Army. We have, you know, the economic dependence. We have a lot of things. But exactly because of this, what we are trying to achieve is a result where the Turkish Cypriot community will be extracted from this mm -hmm. having grip of Turkey and be part of a unified island, part of the European Union, and this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So this is the result we are trying to achieve. And we don't mean by this that we want to cut the links of the Turkish Cypriots with Turkey. You know, they are, they are their brothers, they have identity, they have many other things. But Turkish Cypriots, like the Greek Cypriots, are Cypriots, and they need to stand on their own. There's, sense, a, I would, there's a strong sense of Cypriotness in both communities, which here also include the Turkish Cypriot community, and, and Akinci, in my view, embodies that more than most, that he is first and foremost a Cypriot, and secondly, a mm -hmm. Turkish Cypriot. So he's the Turkish but version of being a Cypriot. This is why he was elected uh, by the Turkish yeah. Cypriots. But it's important not to create the impression that the Turkish Cypriot community wants to break the links with Turkey. They do no. not want to break no. the link. They want to maintain links with Turkey. The task for all of us, Turkish Cypriots, Turks, Greeks, Greek Cypriots, Americans, UN, is to change the format of the various links that exist so that they can continue, but on ways that does not undermine the security of the other side. So, so the, the point is not to have or not have, but it's what kind of relationship will be there in the future between the communities and the motherlands, as some people will say, or their brethren or sisters are there, and some, some people but, talk about stepmotherlands, mm -hmm. but, but you know, the, 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 the neighbors, because Cyprus will be related to both Turkey and Greece in some form. Yeah. There is no escape from that, and it's not a bad thing. But the way it works today has worked so that what provides security to one community is the source of the insecurity of the other community, and vice versa. And that's what we're trying to change together. But, I mean, part of the issue is that the Turkish Cypriot community is the smaller community. They're, they're the ones that have been at a disadvantage because they're unrecognized, their governments and titles are unrecognized. It's, except by Turkey. And so the, the younger generations that have grown up only in this situation 
are, are just afraid of seeing, of pushing Turkey out from day one. So how do you, I mean, how do you reconcile those fears and concerns? And I think the Enosis vote probably accentuates that. But we, um, we have mentioned the, uh, this vote in Parliament, which uh, uh, was not uh, the most important thing that happened in Cyprus, though untimely and unfortunate, I mentioned. But uh, certainly, you know, the Turkish Cypriot community is a smaller community, but uh, I think uh, in a reunited Cyprus, there are enough uh, safeguards. Uh, the system we are trying to establish a by communal, by zonal federation with political equality, a country which will continue to be a member of the European Union, provides all the necessary guarantees for the Turkey Cypriot community to really thrive in, in mm -hmm. Cyprus. There is, I don't believe that there is any problem. And, uh, you know, overall, in Cyprus, one needs to understand that. Uh, there is no enmity between the communities. And uh, there might be some subjective uh, sense of insecurity here and there for the Turkish Cypriots because we are smaller, for the Greek Cypriots because we are close to Turkey and because of past experience. But overall, the, the idea is to get it right, to show the necessary respect for the other, and to put uh, things in the, in the right uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. And I believe that uh, there is a very strong uh, determination both by the leadership and by the communities in order to go in this direction. And going back to what uh, Toria mentioned about the 11th February statement, there is something which is very important. This statement talks about the shared vision. It talks also about the methodology mm -hmm. in order to mm -hmm. achieve this vision. And what it says there, it's fundamental because we're talking about a Cypriot-owned, a Cypriot-led process. And this means that only an agreement by the leaders will go to referenda. This means that the leaders need at every given moment to make sure that what they are doing has enough support. The leaders will not go to referenda unless and until they feel mm -hmm. that what they are doing corresponds to the feelings of their communities mm -hmm. and they can have them on board and they can have their support. Mm -hmm. So this is unique, this is unprecedented, and this is the key for the success okay. of this. And, and this, what Andrea said, said is, and by the way, if, uh, if Mr. Nami was here, he would say exactly the same thing. This is completely shared. And it, it's an extremely important distinction between what we're doing now and the Anand plan. Because at the end of the day, uh, the Anand plan became known as the Anand plan because it was actually written up by a UN civil servant, one of my predecessors, Alvaro Soto. Best of intentions, of course, and the idea was that we had to meet the timeline of the EU expansion mm -hmm. so that unification and EU membership could come as a, as a package. Um, we whole, all of us have learned from that, and, and I told the leaders very early in this process that I know that you don't want arbitration, but I'll promise you I wouldn't do arbitration even if you asked me to, mm -hmm. because we're not going to do that again. We insist on the leader-led, the, the leaders own literally every sentence and every comma that is written, and that is not going to change. Mm -hmm. We will discuss the format and the methodology of this last mile, because we are actually in this last mile, but this, over, this principle is extremely important, and one of the reasons that I think that it will work this time, because I think these two leaders have it in them both to get to a deal and then to convince mm -hmm. their 
respective communities that this is the good deal, but also the best deal you can actually get, and better than any imaginary deal which you didn't get. And this is the political, so two very experienced, solid politicians with long experience with their own communities, a, a strong standing, uh, trust and credibility can do that, uh, but it requires a solid dose of leadership. In addition to leadership, however, the leadership is not is a sine qua non, but it's not enough because leaders also need the community. That is a vital discussion in community that, to inspire. And I said to my separate friends over the last weeks that maybe civil society needs to do a little bit more. I'm not only talking about the, and bless them the the, the peace camp. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about, uh, uh, you know, about uh, uh, trade unions, people, uh, you know, religious organizations. There's more you can do to support the leaders in this last mile, not to allow them to have to lift this completely on their own. There's a lot of support out there, but I think we, we may be inadvertently responsible, all of us, the leaders, the negotiators, myself, for creating this impression over time that things were going reasonably well. Why bother? They will find it. Now... It's a more difficult situation, I think, that mobilization in civil society of those who want it. When I say that, I also have to say that you don't need to be in favor. It's, it's a perfectly legitimate position to be against the settlement. Democratic societies can, of course, choose not to reunify. But the people who want to reunify need to do something now. And right now, as we speak, more or less, there is an 8th of March manifestation of Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot women in the buffer zone area, uh, arguing that the leaders now have to really uh, go the final mile. And that's a very strong statement. And I wanted to be represented here today on the okay. 8th of March. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to, uh, one more, there's another question over there. It seems that we've been saying cautiously optimistic for several years. <laughs> Uh, your predecessor said cautiously optimistic. Toria, when she started, was cautiously optimistic. Her predecessor, Amanda, John, Eric. But, you know, we've seen in referenda, since we're skirting around the referenda issue, we saw the Colombia referenda, we saw the Brexit referenda. And kind of what has been the, the trend is the elite concerns. And let's face it, we're here in, a, in, a, in an elite uh, think tank, having an elite discussion, talking about the business community. How are we going to get to that yes with the people? Because I still haven't heard, and we've discussed this before, what are we doing? Why isn't this conversation? Why aren't we just doing town halls in, in Cyprus instead of in Washington, D.C.? Because the polling is going in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's what I just said, actually. I agree. That's my point. You need to... But just one, one cu little curiosity, since you mentioned that. Go uh, fast backwards to 2004. The community, the Turkish Cypriot community actually voted against the elite because uh, Rauf Denktas was not in favor of a settlement, but the community voted yes. Uh, the Greek Cypriot community agreed with the elite because Tassos Papadopoulos at the end of the day argued against a vote and they agreed with what was recommended by their leader. So uh, this time, uh, if, as Andreas very correctly says, I totally agree with that, there will only be a deal if the two leaders agree that there should be a deal. But if they agree that there should be a deal, they will sell it. And I think in this case, I actually believe that they will have quite some clout in, in, in influencing the swing voters, because we know there's a, there's a hard no camp 
in the north, in the south. There's a hard yes camp who will say yes to almost anything. And most people are watching the deal. And, and that's why between a settlement agreement and a referendum, we need some time so that there can be an open, democratic, inclusive discussion, not only on the theoretical desire of a settlement, but what exactly is in the plan. And I think, again, another lesson from the Anand plan is that that time was too short. It was too little time from the presentation of the deal to, to actually allow that, because peop, peop, some of us are nerdy enough to deal with this on a daily basis, but most people do other things. They can't spend you know, the entire night reading complicated documents. L let some time for society to discuss it, and, and, um, and then my, maybe we will be positively surprised this time. Okay. But you know, um, if I may yeah. just on the same issue, say uh, a couple of things. Uh, you know, it is very important to bear in mind that uh, now the real question is not whether we are going to have a good deal or a bad deal, a good settlement or a bad settlement. All the question is whether we are going to have a settlement or no settlement mm -hmm. because yes. the good nature of the settlement will be impeded because mm -hmm. there we, we need an agreement, we need to have on board already, we need to have mm -hmm. to take into account all yeah. those concerns. So if we have a settlement, it will be a good mm -hmm. settlement. Okay. But the second point is uh, concerning uh, optimism and cautious optimism. Mm -hmm. And you know, personally, I'm not part of it. Uh, Espen <laughs> has the reputation of being optimistic uh, <laughs> more than anybody else. Myself, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, an optimistic or pessimistic person. But I can talk for President Anastasiadis. I can talk for myself that we are certainly determined. Mm -hmm. And we know, want to do whatever it takes. I cannot tell you whether we are going to have a settlement. I don't know. But I can tell you that we have a very strong political will and determination to make it happen. OK, one more question, I think, here. Thank you. Um, my name is Dr. Cicek. I'm from Turkish Embassy. I'm the first counsel. Um, well, first of all, I would like to start with uh, clarification. Uh, the gentleman there said um, Turkey insists on guarantees, Turkey insists on occupation, and he said that the, the, the answer is, is answer lies in Ankara. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Turkey did not intervene to the island uh, as a decision which was taken just in one night. It was a result of a chain of events, actually. Uh, it was the Greek Cypriot site who denied the equal rights of the Turkish Cypriots and who aimed at the uh, Hellenization of the island. So uh, the Turkish intervention came only after uh, the chain of events which, which Turkey could not stay indifferent. Um, now coming to my question, my first question is to Mr. Cohen. Um, he said that um, energy can be a catalyst, actually, for, for a settlement. I, my question is, um, when the Greek Cypriot site is opening, preparing to open new tenders in 2017, uh, how can uh, the, this energy issue can be settled? Uh, and how energy can be a catalyst rather than uh, a, a dispute between the two parties? And my second question is to he, Mr. Mavroyanis. Um, Mr. Mavroyanis said that uh, we should look to the future. Uh, my question is, how can um, 
how can we look to the future when the Greek Cypriot side, the Greek Cypriot Parliament, is taking uh, a decision uh, to commemorate the Enosis? Uh, actually, we know the Enosis ideal very well. It is the ideal to unify Cyprus uh, with with Greece, and it is a, an ideal aimed at the complete Hellenization of the island. So, uh, my question is, when the new uh, Greek Cypriot generations are indoctrinated with such kind of an ideal, with the commemoration. How can we look to the future with, with uh, confidence? Thank you. Um, Jonathan, do you want to start with the gas? Sure. Um, every business model that I've seen shows that for Cyprus to get the gas from the offshore deposits to markets, it needs to move it somewhere else. It's much less expensive to move it through Turkey than anywhere else, whether you do it by ship or by pipeline. Um, and just on the face of it, the amount of potential uh, financial resource under the seabed there that would benefit Cyprus gets diminished significantly if there isn't a deal with mm. the Turkish Cypriots on the island. Mm. Uh, and likewise, the benefits um, that could accrue to Cyprus for uh, the transport of gas from the Israeli fields to Turkey would never materialize if there isn't a deal. So I, I think those, those two pieces of the economic puzzle serve as a, an important incentive for the parties. I hope that answers the question. And to get into the more detailed analyses, uh, you can talk to the oil companies, they'll tell you the same thing. Andreas? Yes, uh, just uh, before I answer the question to say that uh, I mean, we don't rule out uh, at all cooperation with Turkey after this, after this settlement. It's a natural course of action, in particular in the, in the energy field, uh, because of proximity. And uh, it's a, a route that everybody is interested in after the settlement. Of course, uh, we are examining also other alternatives, a pipeline in the Mediterranean between Israel, Cyprus, Egypt, and Greece, etc., and go to Europe. The importance of this option is for Cyprus and for our part of the world to contribute to the energy security of the European Union, which is a must, and this is an added value that Cyprus can offer to the European Union. Now, on the question, I, certainly we don't have the same reading of history, and certainly I don't believe that, there, that any pretext can justify uh, an invasion, occupation, expulsion of one third of the population, thousands of deaths, and these kind of things, and missing. So uh, I, we don't we don't have this uh, same reading of history. There are, there are problems in Cyprus. There were problems. There was intercommunal strife. I don't believe at that all the rights and wrongs are on one side, but nothing can, can justify a, a military aggression to our country. But now, when it comes to commemoration, you know, commemoration has always happened in Cyprus. You know, this is a historical event. It happened. What uh, was included in the vote of the parliament is the possibility to make a reference to this. It's in history books. Nobody can deny it, Greek Cypriots or Turkish Cypriots. It happened. So I don't see why it is controversial. I don't see on the substance I'm talking, on, on the form, of course, as I was saying, it was untimely, unfortunate. It happened the wrong moment. But you know, the, on substance, it's not 
you cannot deny your history, you cannot deny your identity, but this is not a reason to keep the island divided because of history. As I was saying, we, to the contrary, we need to build a common future. And if we were to follow the same path, imagine, imagine the feelings in the Greek Cypriot community the 20th of July, the day of the invasion, when it's a morning day for us, and it's a celebration for the Turkish Cypriot. Imagine the 15th of November, when they are celebrating the proclamation of a so-called independent state condemned by the United Nations. And we are in the middle of an effort to reunify our country under the United Nations. You know, and they are celebrating, and we say nothing. We cannot, you know, co consider that the past should define the future, and there is a very strong goodwill. Yeah, I would like to say something else, but I just also because Mr. Nami is not here, I just would like to point out that Anastasiades has recognized repeatedly that Akinci, the Turkish Cypriot leader, have have developed the format of the celebration of the 20th of July and the 15th of November precisely to try to reduce the animosity element of it. And he, and he has given good speeches, which has been seen as good speeches in the South. And he's also to re reduced the military uh, nature of it. So, so both sides keep celebrating things. The question here is if you introduce more. And I think that was what was created. Uh, and we shouldn't sort of just that every, you know, the people in the room understand it was not sort of the size of this vote, but the direction of it at this critical time. But what I'm saying now is actually identical to what the, the Greek Cypriot leader himself has said, that not only was it untimely, it was wrong. He's actually condemned it, and it's been clear, and he's done it publicly, and also done it towards the UN. So, so, so that part has happened, and then there's some work going on in Parliament. What I wanted to say uh, is something completely different. It's on the... It's on the um, uh, first, quick point again on gas. Because of the nature of how the gas is distributed in these pockets deep under the water, deep under the water in deep sea, um, the production cost will be very high. It's expensive gas. It's still worthwhile, but it's expensive gas. But then what you need to do is make sure the transport cost is as low as possible. Because you cannot have extremely expensive transport of extremely expensive gas. So, so, uh, so I think the case is very strong for thinking cooperatively in, in the region. I think there's a pure, strong economic case. And there's also, and you, you mentioned an economy of scale. It's more rational to have one economy than two economies on a small island. Both sides can then trade with everyone. I mean, the Greek Cypriots with the big home market of Turkey, the Turkish Cypriots with the EU. There's a large shipping fleet in Cyprus, will, which will benefit tremendously from a mutual recognition between Turkey and Greece. And they know, they speak about it, a significant economic income. There could be a tourist boom. Uh, uh, there is a lot of tourism, but you can have a new type of tourism to this phenomenon of a united country. And not only we in the UN, but a number of economic organizations are strongly convinced that this is a good case. So I wanted to say that in the work that we've been doing on behalf of the leader-led process, we have a stellar and sustained and very strong support from a number of other organizations. Rakel Folekin from IMF is one case uh, of that. The World Bank is heav heavily involved, sustained over time, very creatively. The European Union, the European Commission is strongly dedicated to this. And uh, at least 12 directorate generals or departments in the EU uh, have been directly involved in some element of these, uh, of these talks. The President Juncker has sent a special representative, not to Cyprus, but to the UN Good Officers Mission, precisely to help in our work 
to both communities. And this is, this is the international community, and the, the, the director of the European, I will have lunch in Cyprus with the director of the European Investment Bank, who comes on Monday. And there, there is a significant, sustained, constant support from all the key international financial institutions. This is unique. This is not, we're not talking development aid here. This, this is a middle-income country, an advanced economy, reasonably advanced economy with an educated population. It's not a, this is not a, a subject of development aid. It's support to getting the economy right. And, in, and I'm proud to say that the leaders, the negotiators, and I jointly, we have ensured a much stronger emphasis on the economic dimensions of the settlement than what normally happens in peace processes. Many envoys, like me, when they write their memoirs after either succeeding or failing, they say, oh, we forgot the economy. We don't want to forget the economy, so we remember it from day one, because that's where people live their lives. People don't eat flags. So people eat food, and they earn money uh, from, uh, from doing productive work. So, if the more, so first you need to do it, but you also steer the focus over to what really matters, because the question of whether people uh, you know, young people stay in the country or leave and go abroad lies in the economic sector. And if we can, so the potential is there, but we need to reap it. We need to make sure that the economic institutions are clean, uh, modern, efficient, one-stop shop, and all these things. And very good people are helping us in the country and outside in getting that right, Thank including Michael will speak in the next panel. I believe economic benefits and potentials mm. are the theme of the next panel. Oh, really so cool. thank you all very much. Um, Jonathan Cohen, uh, Ambassador Andreas Mavroyanis, and Mr. Espen Barthaida. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to take a very brief break to train the stage. Thank you to Espen for setting the scene for the next conversation. We're going to be very brief and get started with the next conversation in just a minute.